for the latest news on money, politics, prophecy, and preparedness. And now your host, the editor-in-chief of ChristianMoney.com and the author of more than 30 books, Jim Paris. All right, hello everybody. Welcome to the broadcast, and we want to welcome especially all the fathers today. Happy Father's Day. I had a great Father's Day. Just to kind of tell you how my Father's Day worked out this year, my kids are all kind of in different places. So we had a a nice grill-out dinner with my youngest daughter today, and my oldest daughter lives in New Hampshire, (laughs) up in New Hampshire, about uh, two hours from the coast of Canada. So I wasn't going to see her in person today, but she uh, uh, gave me a phone call this afternoon, and we talked uh, for a few minutes, and then we went over to Orlando, where our son lives, and we had a nice meal with him on Friday. So we kind of spread it out over three days, and my daughter in New Hampshire tells me that I still have a gift on its way, <laughs> and I don't know when it's going to be here. I guess it's coming from China, so I've got to be careful. I might have the, the coronavirus on it. So in any case, uh, happy Father's Day to everybody listening. Tonight, we've got a great guest. He's been with us many times before. He'll be with us in 28 minutes. Nutritional pharmacist Ben Fuchs is here and a lot to ask him about, right? With everything that's going on. I mean, talk about perfect timing. Uh, Are we going to have a second wave? What about coronavirus? How do we boost our immune system? All of that good stuff that'll be coming up here in 28 minutes. Next week, we go back to one of our favorite topics, which is true crime. And we'll be talking about the book Operation Jacknap, a true story of kidnapping, extortion, ransom, and rescue. And of course, everything, I mean, everything is over at ChristianMoney.com, including links to all of our social media outlets. I'm pretty much on social media now 24-7. I don't really sleep much anymore. So if you are up at 3 in the morning and you see a brand new post to Twitter, That is not automated. (laughs) That is actually me. All right. Tonight's sponsor, so we can be commercial free, is VARS. That's Virtual Asset Retirement System. It's all about how to retire on passive income from various Internet businesses. And this is a class that I personally teach. And what is it all about? I teach you exactly what I'm doing to earn my full-time living on the Internet. And what I did so you can kick the tires is I set up for you several free introductory classes. So you can go to this website. You can watch some of the videos and start through the the program and to see if it's for you or not. You don't even have to give your email or do anything. You don't have to give a credit card. Just go there and kick the tires and see if this is for you or not. Do this tomorrow. Don't miss the show tonight, but it's varstraining.com. That's V like in Victor a R S like in Sam VARS tonight's sponsor VARS training.com. All right. I, I feel like I need to now dip my big toe in the, the water 
and maybe just jump in the deep end of the pool and talk about the Rayshard Brooks case. I'll be honest with you. I'm afraid to post too much about this online because people are having their Facebook account shut off, their Twitter account shut off. If you disagree with the narrative and here's the thing, I, I it's, it's okay for us to disagree on, on any of these cases. We all have the right to our opinion. I think though, if we're intellectually honest, we have to admit that the George Floyd case is completely different than the Rayshard Brooks case. Now, if you're someone that just sees them both as the same, uh, both men were African-American. That's, of course, the case. Uh, the police officers uh, involved were white. Uh, now, of course, in the case of George Floyd, you had several races represented uh, amongst the four officers there. But the, the principal officer that was kneeling on George Floyd's neck was white. So there's the narrative. White officer and then you have an African-American individual that dies. That's the case with both of these stories, granted. But these are two different stories, two different sets of facts. And each of us can have our own opinion on it. And, of course, we don't know everything yet on both of these cases. But I'll tell you what. To charge the officer in Atlanta with murder, I'm still breathless about that. I'm having a hard time processing that. So I don't do this a lot on the show, but I have a clip for you tonight and I want to play this clip for you. It's uh, I, I'm just capturing this under under fair use. I'm I'm capturing this from another radio show that I listen to and to give them credit. Uh, this is a radio station over in Orlando, WFLA, 540 a.m. on Friday morning. They had a guest on from the Heritage Foundation. He's one of their legal uh you know, experts there. And his name is Hans von Spakovsky. And he was posed the question, was the officer in Atlanta overcharged? And I've got the clip and here it is. No, it's, it, this is an outrageous, unfair and unjustified charge, particularly when the GBI, the Georgia uh, Bureau of Investigation, hadn't even, um, Finishes investigation. Here's the three things people need to understand about this. First of all, uh, Paul Howard, the DA. I, listen, I used to live and practice in Atlanta. I know this guy. Uh, you all need to understand he is an incompetent, biased, partisan, and corrupt prosecutor. In mm -hmm. fact, wow. he's running for reelection mm -hmm. and he is trailing in the polls. He's got two sexual harassment charges against him uh, by women who used to work for him. He's being investigated by the state ethics commission for campaign finance violations. And he refused to wait for the evidence before he charged uh, these officers. He, he basically is giving into the mob, hoping it helps him reelection. Here's the other thing. Richard Brooks is being uh, uh, painted as some kind of dedicated family man. He's a violent felon who was out on, uh, probation and what were the felonies he committed them against his family multiple battery cruelty to children false imprisonment and if you watch the video cam footage these officers were professional and cordial after they found him passed out drunk drunk in the drive-in lane in wendy's when they tried to arrest him after he he was clearly uh, past the legal limit 
he starts violently fighting with the officers. In fact, listen, Devin Brosnan, the guy, the partner, who's been charged with aggravated assault, suffered a concussion. So he's being yeah. charged with assault when he suffered a concussion. And uh, Brooks, uh, not only does he engage in a violent struggle to avoid being arrested, he then uh, steals a taser uh, from Brosnan and fires it at Rolf, the officer who's been charged with felony murder. And you can see from the footage that he still he missed, but he's still pointing at it at Rolf when Rolf fires his gun. He had already stolen one weapon from an officer. If he had been able to successfully hit Rolf that second time, he could have stolen the police officer's gun, and then who knows what would have happened. Everything in this looks like the officer's were professional, cordial, did everything by the book, and yet they're still being charged. It's just because Howard's running for re-election. Wow, and there you have it. I'll tell you, I couldn't say it any better. And and that those are the differences in the cases. And, and one of the things that uh, this gentleman from the Heritage Foundation really hits on is the, is the context. This really gives context to the situation. Why did Rayshard Brooks resist? I mean, getting a DUI is not a good thing. It'll probably cost you about $10,000. I've never had one. Uh, <laughs> my limit is usually one drink. If I drink and drive, that's it. Um, but, you know, it, it's not the end of the world. It's, it's not worth dying over, is it? I mean, it's not worth fighting two armed police officers taking one of their their tasers and, and pointing it at them and firing it at them. It's not worth that, right? Unless, unless you understand the context of this. If you're headed back to prison to serve serious prison time because of this arrest, then it is maybe worth it to you. So this is why, you know, I, I've been hesitant to come out and talk about this, to talk about the criminal record of Rayshard Brooks. But anybody can go online to Fulton County, to the courts there, and you can look up this guy's criminal record. Now, I know some of you are going to say, oh, because he had a criminal record, he can just be killed. That's not what happened. That, but this does give context to the situation of why he fought the police officers. And I do, you know, how can you... How can you possibly allege murder? Uh, this police officer is facing potentially the death penalty if convicted of this murder charge. And what we're now hearing is that Atlanta police officers are calling in sick, missing their shifts, not responding to calls. We're really on the verge. We're on the precipice of a crisis among police officers, because if you think about it, Police officers put up with a lot of crap as it is. I would never want to be a police officer. God bless these people that uh, go out in the middle of the night, two, three in the morning to calls, uh, you know, going into dark alleyways and and homes that are broken into and responding to gunshots. I mean, who would want to do that? And these are the brave people that go out and, and protect us. I don't know all of the facts of either case. Uh, but I did see the George Floyd video and I did see eight and a half minutes of Derek Siobhan, uh, Shavad on his neck. And I, I can't see any reason for that. I can't see any excuse for that. I get it. That was horrible. 
this other case is not the same. And if we're going to be intellectually honest and consistent, we just can't lump all of these cases together. This is a different case. Obviously, there needs to be further investigation into it. But you heard uh, just right there in the clip, the Georgia Bureau of Investigation had not even finished their investigation. I mean, normally, if you're going to charge someone with murder, you would take weeks, maybe even months to be able to do the groundwork, the investigative work to bring a charge like that. Clearly, clearly pandering to the mob. Now, this will blow your mind. If it's not bad enough for that Atlanta Atlanta officer who was fired and now charged with murder, get this, his mother, his mother, he's a fairly young guy, so his mother's still in the workforce. His mother has been fired from her job as an HR director for a mortgage company there in Atlanta. So can you imagine what this has done to the family? So this young police officer, he's fired and charged with murder. And now because of the connection, because there's this is what's being reported. I don't know the whole story, but it's reported that the mother of the police officer is fired from her job because of all of this. Uh, man, oh, man. I mean. How can that possibly be fair? And then we we just continue to watch the news here and shake our heads. The incredible, indiscriminate destruction of monuments throughout the country. Just shameful, uh, including a monument to Ulysses S. Grant, which I know that kids today don't get a lot of history training, <laughs> but somebody needs to explain to them. That's okay if if you're all for uh, the Civil War, uh, all the Southern states, the Southern leaders knocking down all of their monuments. I can understand that on one level. But then when you're knocking down monuments of generals from the North that freed the slaves, that I don't get. But I guess if you're not educated, I guess a statue, a monument, they're all just the same. Uh, You'll go out and desecrate Abraham Lincoln's. Uh, memorial in Washington, D.C., which happened. Uh, I mean, these people, they're, it's indiscriminate. And we have to also be intellectually honest to be able to dis, you know, differentiate between what is a protest and what is a riot that is crime. Burning down a Target, burning down a bank, burning down a CVS, breaking windows and stealing things. Those are not protests. Those are crimes. And I'm telling you, this is just escalating. I don't know where this goes. I I honestly don't know where uh, the end of this is, but I read a a shocking result of a poll today, which is that over one-third of Americans, get this, over one-third of Americans believe that a civil war is likely to happen in this country. I, I I couldn't believe that. But then again, now that I think about it and I ruminate on that for a few hours. Yeah. In fact, I posted that on my social media and a lot of people weighed in and said, Jim, it's already on. We're already in the civil war. I mean, wow. Uh, that's, that's a hard one to, uh, to absorb as well. 
It, it just really is tragic where we're at. And then, you know, when you look at the whole concept of this movement of Black Lives Matter, I, I'm, I'm with you with in that with that. I mean, the idea Black Lives Matter, White Lives Matter, All Lives Matter, Hispanic Lives Matter, Asian Lives Matter. I mean, that's fine. And if you're someone of a certain race and you want to uh, go out and promote um, you know, goodwill for your particular race. I, that's fine with me. I have no problem with it. But then again, we become intellectually dishonest, right? Because if we look at what happened in Chicago over this Father's Day weekend, now this was a story from earlier today. So the weekend was not over because today is still Sunday. And this was reported this morning. Already, just, just over the weekend this morning, get this, nine people dead 56 people shot in Chicago. That was up until this morning. This is just for the weekend uh, over Father's Day weekend. And, and, and one of the one of those dead is a toddler, uh, I believe, uh, about three years old, two or three year old toddler dead. And, and most of these deaths are African-Americans. But you will never see the CNN trucks there. You won't see the protesters there. Um, and it's just a tragedy. And these are cities run by Democrats where this is happening. And I simply ask if black lives matter, then where are they after a bloody weekend like this in Chicago? And I wish I could say that this was uh, an exception, but I mean, in the summer in Chicago, this is normal business, 50, 60, 70 people shot. Uh, in Chicago over a weekend. And this is most, these are mostly uh, minorities that end up being victims and die and no one is marching for them. And you just wonder why, because it's, I think largely, I hate to say it, but I think largely these tragedies that happen with, with some of the police officers, uh, which I think it's a tiny, tiny, tiny minority of police officers that are misbehaving, that are getting involved with police brutality uh, and abusing their positions. Um, but I think it's political to, to pick these narratives, white police officer, African-American uh, who, who is either uh, either hurt or killed. And they pick these narratives and they don't look at the whole landscape of the rest of what's happening with African-Americans throughout our country. That's just my view on it. Now, we'll shift gears and talk a little bit about Trump's Tulsa event. Now, here's what I understand going to air tonight. I've done a lot of research on this because apparently there was over 100,000 people that signed up to get tickets to go to see Trump in Tulsa. And this was a stadium that only held 19,000 people. Now, the Democrats wanted to stop this. They even went to court to try to get a judge to block this on the basis that we shouldn't be allowed to have gatherings like this because of coronavirus, that it's a health risk. They, they literally went to court to try to get a judge to block this event from taking place. These are the same Democrats that were all good with the, the riots, right? No problem with that. But we can't have a Trump rally. So what I understand going to air tonight is that there was uh, somewhat of a, a sabotage that went on. Um, this was reported just minutes ago that thousands of people, 
applied for tickets to the Trump rally in Tulsa with no intention of attending. And this was sort of a meme that went on social media, in particular, I guess, the TikTok social media platform. And it was encouraged that people would to try to stop Trump from having a good turnout. They were going to apply for tickets and then not show up. That's what the story was tonight. I don't know if it's true or not, but it's being widely reported that that happened. Now, nonetheless, um, depending on whose numbers you want to believe, there was somewhere between 7,000 and 12,000 people in that stadium that held 19,000 people. So it was largely that the upper deck was not completely full. But if you think about it in the context of what's going on with coronavirus and, and all the health concerns that people have, I'm not that surprised that it wasn't completely full. And then when you add this whole sabotage element to it, uh, that could certainly explain it. But what's interesting to me is you never hear the media talk about crowd size when it comes to any of the Democrats. If you if you remember back during the primary, uh, we had several occasions and we reported it here where, where some of the uh, the groups that came out uh, were, were like 10 people, 11 people would show up. I remember one uh, one particular uh, event where it was Jill Biden, Joe Biden's wife, and she was holding a meeting and there were five people and they met in like at like a table in a restaurant. That That's how few people showed up uh, or it was. No, it was moved to a home. I remember it was moved to a private home. But you never hear the media beating the drum about these tiny, tiny crowds. Look, I don't really care how many people come out to these events. It doesn't really matter to me. I am not a Trump super fan. Um, I support Trump's policy. I don't like all the stuff that he does, in particular, the personal uh, vendettas he has going on on Twitter, I think are childish. But at the same time, you can just look at the media and just look at how imbalanced things are. And you could bet, I, I mean, if Joe Biden had an event, there is no way Joe Biden is, is going to draw thousands of people. I could be wrong. I just don't imagine him being able to draw thousands of people, uh, especially during you know what's going on right now with coronavirus. So I think they'll use coronavirus all the way up to the election to avoid having any such events. Now, Bernie Sanders is another story. Bernie Sanders could draw some pretty large crowds, but he's no longer in the game. Uh, but I, I just... I don't think anyone can draw a crowd like Trump. And the reason why I think the media is so upset about Trump's numbers that he draws and why they have to make such a big deal about uh, what happened in Tulsa and not filling up that stadium is because what this really represents is what Trump calls and I call the silent majority. Uh, the polls say that Biden is going to win by 14 points. Nobody in their right mind believes those numbers. They're just not possible, uh, especially just when you see what's happening right now. I, I, I just I for I don't for a second believe that that it's going to be a 14 point blowout. But that's what the current polls are saying. But when Trump has one of these events and tens of thousands of people show up, I mean, some of these people were were living in their campers, living in tents five and six days before the event to be able to get in. What the problem is with the media is this, they can't explain this 
in in the context of Biden supposedly leading by 14 points. It just doesn't fit the narrative. And apparently social media, uh, it says here, social media was left stunned after Trump calls the coronavirus Kung flu. <laughs> this let's let's just be honest. Trump is I, I think we could say he's maybe a third stand up comedian. He one third stand up comedian when he does these things. But he says Kung flu. So uh, I guess we're not supposed to link uh, the coronavirus to China. And Trump was having some fun with that. People are upset. And then this bizarre story. I'm telling you, this one absolutely shocked me. I could not believe it. Dan Cathy, who is the CEO of Chick-fil-A, said this week that whites need to shine the shoes of African-Americans to win a pardon for our shameful oblivion, uh, for, for our sh shameful oblivion uh, to being shamefully oblivious to racism. So there's a, a video, there's a, a picture, you can see this online, of uh, Dan Cathy, the CEO of Chick-fil-A, actually shining an African-American man's shoes. Now, if he wants to do that, I have no problem with that. I don't feel called to do that. I, I, I don't see any, any reason to do that. Um, I, I think that, you know, I, I'm signing up every day for the vision of Martin Luther King, that it's just a colorblind society. And I, and that's how I live. I, I don't view any of my African-American friends any differently than my friends that are white, than my friends that are Asian, than my friends that are Hispanic. We're just, we're all human beings. I, 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 I don't understand why we have to keep making such an issue out of this because I believe it, it divides us. It doesn't bring us together to keep bringing these things, uh, back up again. Uh, so, so what's happening now on my social media, I'm just being straight with you. Uh, I've got a ton of people saying that's it. They're done with Chick-fil-A, which I found to be surprising because Chick-fil-A has been, uh, you know, an upward, um, you know, an upstanding member of, of the community. They close on Sundays, they stand up for Christian values, all of that. And uh, I love Chick-fil-A food. But now there's this this moment with um, Dan Cathy, CEO of Chick-fil-A, saying that white people need to shine the shoes of African-Americans to make up uh, for for our sins, I guess. I, I, and people are furious about it. Um, I don't know if this is uh, has any effect or not, but we drove by Chick-fil-A yesterday afternoon and it was empty and it's never empty. I, I don't know if there's any connection there that's just anecdotal, but just throwing that out to you. So the, the governor of California has uh, issued an edict that all Californians are now to wear masks and, and see the, the problem with this is that we now know that these masks are not scientifically proven to do anything. The idea of having people take a piece of fabric, you know, they, they go in their linen closet and cut a piece of fabric and wrap it around their face. This is silliness. Nobody believes there's any scientific benefit in that. The only benefit you might find is if you can get your hands on a on an official medical mask, medical grade mask. And even if you do the research on those, the truth is every few hours they've got to be thrown away and replaced. Uh, and people aren't going to do that. They're not going to have the money to do that. And they're not going to take the time to do that. Um, this is just, again, 
another example, I believe, of virtue signaling. We're, we're just going to make everybody wear masks because we are. Uh, okay. A number of congressional Democrats signed a letter this week demanding the United States Education Department allow transgender males in girls' sports. So a lot of you missed it. The Supreme Court decision that took place uh, a few days ago, the 1964 uh, Civil Rights Act, now saying that that applies to all these different categories, including transgender males. Uh, so now what this looks like is transgender males to be competing in girls' sports. Uh, so th this is where the liberals are going to have to face the reality of what, you know, be careful what you ask for, uh, because now you're basically going to have men competing in women's sports. That's what's going to happen. And it looks like this Supreme Court decision has uh, kind of greased the skids for that to be the case. We don't even need to get into tonight. You know, the high school showers, you know, after gym class, you take the shower. Who's going to be in that shower? All of this is changing and, and it's changing very, very quickly. Uh, here in Orange County, Florida, about an hour from here, they just issued the edict on Saturday. Uh, everybody's got to wear masks in Orange County, Florida. But two weeks before that, the uh, mass protests were fine. Uh, no social distancing, no worrying about masks uh, there. Okay, and then this last uh, thought here. Uh, John Bolton and this book, and the book's going to come out, a judge said Trump can't block the book from coming out and all of that. Uh, you know, and I'm going to do a, I'm going to do a longer talk on this maybe in the next couple of weeks, but this once again highlights the major mistake of Trump's first term in office. He continues to bring in Washington insiders. Here's a guy that came in. Uh, he disagreed with what Trump wanted to do. He ended up being fired. He claims he resigned. He took copious notes and and has going public with all of this you know whatever you think about bolton or trump or the policies this is just this really stinks doesn't it i mean you go to work for someone not just someone the president of the united states uh and then even before his term is over uh you're out with a book with all of these details uh included in the book that you agreed uh, by way of a non-disclosure agreement, by way of your professional uh, agreement uh, to be in that position uh, to keep all of this confidential, but uh, yet you're going to come out and publish a big book on this. Uh, you know, I, I think if I could give Trump one piece of advice, if he is reelected, every person you interview for your administration, you need to have one screening filter. Have you ever worked for any government anywhere ever? If they say yes, they're out. Uh, you you got to start with outs, outside of government, especially your inner circle. Maybe that's not practical for the outer circle, but for the inner circle, you want to find people outside of government because I'm, I'm convinced more and more that it's all one blur. It's all one team, Demo Democrats and Republicans up there that comprise the deep state. Okay. A lot we had to do there in our first segment. I'm really excited to have them back with us. We're going to refire the open. Our good friend, pharmacist Ben will be here. Politics are done. We're going to talk about your health next. He's a great guy, got a ton of information, and I've got a lot of questions to ask. We'll be back in one minute. Stand by. <laughs> 